Hi, Talia Lazarus here, and welcome back to I Got Back Up. Today I'm joined by Daryl Edwards, a former investment banking technologist who made a profound shift in his life to become a movement coach, author, and founder of Primal Play Method. A survivor of the 2005 London bombings, on the London underground as the bombs hit an adjacent carriage to his, thinking with only seconds left on the planet, he has since navigated through survivor's guilt, endured profound family loss, and recently faced a terrible bicycle accident. Daryl has discovered how when sometimes things are so painful, we avoid them entirely. But why? With recurring thoughts and feelings of wanting to save the world, join me as we explore the life of Daryl Edwards. What we're going to do is we're going to talk about everything that you've been through and your story. But I want to go back to the beginning of where you feel most resonates with just everything that's happened and the person that has made you who you are today. Yeah, so I I suppose worthwhile starting way back mm-hmm. way way back so um you know i was a kid of the 1970s and and back then um an active childhood was was commonplace so i was a free range child you know you get up it was during the summer holidays you're pretty much told one command get outside and amuse yourself and come back in when you're told to do so. And, and that was pretty much my, my childhood, very active, spending lots of time with friends and not being great at any sport in particular, but, but certainly having fun with, with movement. And the reason I mention that is because even though I had a very active childhood into my early teens, I then became very sedentary so i studied computer science i spent lots of time at a, at a desk um, and then when i entered my career within within computer science becoming a programmer i became very very sedentary and that sedentary behavior led to me having health issues and those health issues meant i had to question the importance of a very lucrative career versus managing ill health and deciding maybe I should follow my passion and focus on my health and well-being. And so that's where I took a, a pretty big leap of faith and decided I wanted to to improve my health and well-being and, and, and change my vocation. And then, so where kind of where did it all go from there? So I worked in investment banking as a technologist, a very lucrative career, um, pretty much chained to my desk, having to deliver constantly um, in a meritocracy. So I felt rewarded, at least financially. But it was highly stressed. I was very sedentary. I wasn't eating very well. I was hardly sleeping. Um, because I was constantly worrying about what would occur at work the next day. And one huge turning point, I mean, there were two really um, during that time, but one was becoming a victim of the London bombings in 2005. So July 7th, 2005, there was a, a terror attack that occurred in London. Um, this terror attack occurred on the London transport network 
um, on three tube locations and one on a double-decker bus. There were a number of deaths, uh, there were a significant number of casualties, and I was a second or two away from certain death. So I was a, adjacent to a carriage uh, that basically blew up. And, um, and when you're faced with the reality of the inevitability of, I think I've only got a few more seconds left on the planet. Um, it's incredible what you think about in, in those moments. So in those moments, I remember thinking about an argument I had with my daughter, uh, talking about why she failed to do her homework. And, and that discussion I had with her was the most important thing <laughs> ever. You know, like the way that I, I emphasize how important this one piece of homework was, as if it was going to make all the difference in her life, in my life. And, and I, that played back several times in those few moments. I thought about all the people that I would never see again. I thought about all those that I loved. Um, and I wondered how they would be after my demise. So I'm still here. Uh, so of course that, that thought didn't materialize, but once I came out of this, this explosion, uh, this feeling that the train was going to derail survivor mode kicked in, um, you know, pitch black, putrid smoke, liquid smoke. That's what it felt like liquid smoke. Lungs are burning with the searing heat, lots of people panicking. And I remember questioning why people were panicking. You know, I could see people who were alive. Why are you panicking? Why is this problematic for you? We're, we're okay. We're alive. But a lot of those screams were, were actually people who were dying, who had been blown under my carriage, who were screaming. People were aware of this. I wasn't at the, in, in that moment. And so trying to get off the train, I remember rallying a few people, trying to open the tube doors, thinking this was going to be the only way to get out of this. And fortunately, we couldn't open the doors. We tried with all our might. We couldn't open the doors because, unfortunately, we couldn't because if we had have done, we would have walked onto live rails. You know, we would have been electrocuted. We were, certainly would have seen the, 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 all of the horrors that occurred um, at, at that station that was Edgware Road. So frustrated with not being able to get off the train, still not being sure and confused as to what was happening, kind of fast forwarding to being escorted off the train, emergency services, being told the dangers of what had happened, um, leaving, coming out at Edgware Road, seeing all the emergency services, getting bombarded with text messages, trying to communicate with people, which was very difficult at the time to let them know that I was okay. And I, I walked home, I lived a couple of miles away from the station, I, I, I walked home and I got into the shower and I remember trying to wash, I was covered in, in kind of smoke and ash and I literally stayed in the, in the shower for hours, just 
trying to wash away the physical debris, but also trying to wash away what had happened to me and realize that I couldn't, I couldn't wash it away. I couldn't get clean enough. I couldn't get this kind of funk out of my lungs. I couldn't get rid of the memories. Um, so that moment, that psychological trauma that occurred, even though I experienced that moment of several hours of not being able to, to get rid of these thoughts of, of having sleepless nights of constantly watching the news, you know, the first night it was literally watching 24 hour news, trying to find out more information about the event, seeing everyone rallying around, you know, um, talking about the horrors, talking about how much we, we're going to stand against these horrors, but not feeling any better, but wanting to by watching the news repeatedly. And so even though I went through this process in the first few days, I still felt that I was okay. I did have some survivor's guilt. Why me? Why was I on the train at that time? Why wasn't I aware that I may have been able to help people who were dying? You know, there are all these questions, but then also actually everything's fine. I'm okay. I'm alive. I should be grateful. I shouldn't be feeling sorrowful or remorse or guilt. And this continued, um, this continued for a few days. I decided I've got to get over this. So I got onto the tube once a tube network opened up, I was like, I want to get on a train. I want to face the fear. If I leave it for too long, I may never be able to feel comfortable going back. And I went back on the train a couple of days later. It was in the early evening. I, I felt I couldn't do it. I couldn't commute to work. I couldn't go on the tube at rush hour. So I went at about eight or nine o'clock in the evening. Um, and it was a Friday night. And I remember sitting on the carriage, the carriage is quite full. And I was sitting on the carriage and I saw people around me who were on their way into central London, who were going to celebrate. Um, they were drinking, they were laughing and I just broke down. I burst into tears, alarmed that no one noticed that I was, you know, that I was suffering. You know, people were having joyful moments that were absent from me. And I literally only could, I could only stay in the train for one stop. I got off the next stop and I vowed I would never go in a tube again. Um, and that's what happened for about a year. I commuted, um, I decided I commuted by bike. I decided I was going to cycle into work and, and I avoided, the, I avoided, avoided public transport. I felt comfortable doing that. I cycled through winter, through, through rain, snow, whatever I could do to avoid getting onto, onto the underground. But. That first moment of trauma, having these post-traumatic stress episodes that I wasn't really aware of at the time, and another trigger which occurred three weeks, three weeks later. So on the 21st of July, there was another 
um, attempted terror attack on the 21st and, and these guys were unsuccessful. Their devices didn't detonate. But that was the first day that I went back into work uh, uh, after, after working from home and I went back into work and on that day I got a taxi into work so I could find out my route that I was gonna cycle. So I got a cab in, I'm in work for a few hours and then I get a, a you know text message saying, Daryl, do, do, are you okay? Do you know what's happening right now? I'm like, no. And then I start getting these messages saying it's happening again, it's happening again. And I literally, in the middle of a meeting, I was like, guys, boss, I'm off. No, <laughs> what do you mean? You know, I didn't have, didn't wait to be asked <laughs> why I literally left. And I walked from the city of London and I walked all the way to West London. Like took me several hours to walk home. And I, I, again, I, just, I kind of dug deep and said, right, this is, this, is a, this is a warning. You know, I definitely shouldn't be <laughs> going to work at this time I, I shouldn't be taking public transport um, but I commuted I went back into the office I started to feel okay started to feel better I avoided the calls for seeing therapists um, I met some of the the other survivors who who would who were finding it really difficult and so fast forwarding on and and people saying to me years later, Daryl, have you did you see anyone? Like, no, I'm I'm okay, I'm fine. You know, I didn't don't need to see anyone. I didn't have any physical issues. I feel okay psychologically. Maybe you guys need help, but I don't. And when I realized I needed help, is fast forwarding up to 2016. And so 2016, my sister had been diagnosed with lung cancer, a rare form of lung cancer. She was 39 when she passed away. And I was, I witnessed her passing. Um, and certainly at that point, it was the, it was the most traumatic, most difficult thing for me to witness. Unexpectedly, in hospital routine, you know, routinely being managed for, for some of the complications of her lung cancer. And she had a massive cardiac arrest and I'm there with my family, my mother's other siblings, watching my sister struggle to, to stay with us. You know, watching her heart being massaged, watching her rib cage being broken seeing my family members prostate on the floor crying like de absolutely devastated and feeling as if I had to try and control the situation what could I do to help what could I do to keep people calm what could I do not to cry what could I do to hold on to the the fact that she was coming back she was revived a few times and she was responding to conversations from the from the, the the medical staff the crash team and after several times of that happening the consultant came in to see see me and and said i i don't think we can i don't think we can get her to come back what would you like us to do 
So I was like, of course you need to try. Mom, you know, what what should we do, mom? Yes, yes, try, try, try. I need to I need to be there to see her. So my mother and I went in, seeing the team around her, doing everything they could, and half of the team were in tears. So that, you know, you have a realization, like they're aware how difficult this is. They're aware how difficult it is for us. I'm watching my mother looking at her daughter, begging, pleading with her to stay with us. And my sister was holding onto our hands, squeezing in so much pain. And then, then she'd flatline. And then a few moments later, she'd come back to life and she'd squeeze our hands and, and, uh, experiencing that, experiencing my mother saying to her, Tash, it's okay. It, it's, it's okay. Now you don't need to fight anymore. You don't need to be in any more pain. You can go now. And my sister stopped squeezing our hands and, and she passed. And so having that experience and having difficulty with the grieving process, because I, I, I find, I found it really difficult that I couldn't help her, that I couldn't, we didn't have the right consultants. We didn't, maybe she didn't have the right treatment. Maybe she didn't do the right things to help her stay with us. Why did this happen? Why so young? Why couldn't I help my little sister? Why can't I cry? about this why can't I tell people that I'm suffering and that incident in 2005 and that incident in 2016 I realized they were linked because I started to have recurring dreams and these dreams didn't only factor in my sister and me being at the bedside and this being replayed again and again but also the event in 2005 I was back on the train, you know, experiencing the explosion, sometimes not surviving, other times surviving, sometimes being the hero and saving others, other times being the hero and not being successful. And that continued into 2017 when the terror attack started to happen in London again. There was the uh, Borough Market. It was the Westminster Bridge attacks. And there was also the Grenfell, um, Grenfell Tower fire, where 70 plus people died. And I started having recurring dreams about all these incidents. So I was on the bridge at Westminster Bridge. I was facing the attackers. I was trying to prevent that what occurred. I was trying to be the saver, be the hero. And I had these recurring dreams, all of these threads tied in. I was at Borough Market. I saved people, you know, so again, sometimes successful, sometimes unsuccessful. Sometimes I would die in the pursuit of trying to help others. And it happened with Grenfell Tower. So after that event, I had dreams of going, being there at Grenfell Tower, being told that I couldn't go in to help people deciding that I would go in to help. And sometimes I'd be successful in, t in, in saving people. Other times I would die. And I was like, this is, 
this is really serious. There's something is happening to me whereby I know I, I cannot get over the passing of my sister. And I'm now seeing all of these events that are happening and, and, and experiencing them daily. So I felt I was just constantly living in this world of trauma that I couldn't get out of. I was hyper vigilant. Uh, wherever I walked, if I heard a siren, I, you know, I was imagining that car, you know, police cars would, would kind of crash into me on the pavement. You know, I became claustrophobic. I, I did, there were all these fears and I couldn't really tell anyone about this. If anyone asked me how I was doing, I would have said, I'm, oh yeah, I'm fine. I'm okay. Everything's fine. So having those thoughts, having those dreams, realizing that I was in a really dark place, that I was feeling anxious, that I was significantly depressed. Um, I, I had to, re I, re I reached out for help and, um, I was like, I know I need some sort of therapy, but I have no idea what type of therapy. I know I need to be able to speak about this, but I feel as if I can't say a word to anyone. I don't feel anyone will understand. And um, I fortunately sought out the right type of help and sought out the right type of therapy and felt at ease immediately with the therapist that I saw, even though I questioned <laughs> in a very sexist way, actually, I, it was a male therapist and I was like, this person is not going to be able to empathize, not going to have the emotional intelligence or awareness to help me. I want a female <laughs> to be able to help. And I kind of expressed my concerns with him in that first session. And he said, oh, well, let's have a chat and let's see if I can help you. And in that first session, I broke down. I broke down in tears. I expressed to him how I was feeling and, and that led to onto this road of, of, of recovery, of starting to feel better about the things that I knew that I couldn't control. You know, I knew I couldn't control the events of the 7th of July. I know I knew I couldn't have helped my sister, the outcome, whatever I did, the outcome was going to be the same for her really difficult processing all of that and coming out of it, realizing I'm always going to be impacted by this. So, so, uh, yes, <laughs> that, that was a, a significant buildup of trauma of being diagnosed with complex PTSD, where there were these series of events that led to PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder that I couldn't I couldn't break this cycle of, of, of pain and flashbacks and, and trauma. One thing from the very beginning of the story then, um, there's a few different things, but one thing from the very beginning, which was something that, you know, I definitely want to highlight is when you were talking about the argument you'd had with your daughter, um, obviously, and then you thought about it when you were on the train and, it just kind of puts into perspective mm -hmm. so much. You know, we think when we're having those fights with whoever it is about homework or, you know, where did you park the car? And we think they are the biggest things that are currently happening to us. Yeah. But then in hindsight, 
they're not. But, you know, it, it, it's hard that sometimes it's put into perspective by something like that. Um, yeah, for, for sure. It, it, it's, it's, you know, when you're in the moment, heated discussion mm. and the, these, these trivial issues become all important. And, and, and so in that moment, nothing else, nothing else mattered. Mm-hmm. And one positive of that event in 2005 is I certainly reflected on how I wanted to live my life differently, how I wanted to seek out more passion and joy and pleasure in my life. Because of course, it, it could have ended in that in that instant. And, and so that pressure of me as a father and having these expectations, um, you know, didn't, didn't, weren't completely removed, but I certainly reflected on, on, on reevaluating what was important in life and, and, and how, how should I be spending my time and, and, and spending my time with others. And so, yeah, that, that, that event that I pushed to one side thinking its only importance is that I came out of it alive. Now I can say the importance of that event was me significantly shifting my, my values, my approach to what I, I consider to be important. Um, and it isn't always easy to, to, to take the, you know, high moral ground and go, Oh, this is, this is, this is all really trivial. <laughs> it's easy to get back into that, but, but, yeah. but certainly you, you, you think, you think differently about how serious life can be, you know, when you encounter a hardship, whereas prior you're like, what's the big deal? Everything's kind of okay. But when you encounter, when you encounter something that you feel no one else can understand, no one else has been through this. No one else has experienced what I'm experiencing right now. No one understands. There's no one I can speak to. If I speak to them, they always give me the, an answer that I, that is making me feel worse about this issue. So, so it's, it's really difficult for, for, for us to deal with trauma, to process Mm it, um, to, to put on a brave face. Oftentimes that's what we feel we should be doing, especially for men. You know, we, we, we're, we're told, you know, from a very young age, you know, boys don't cry, (laughs) you know, (laughs) man up, like, you know, just deal with your issues by being distracted for achievement or, or not showing how you really feel about something, disguising, hiding, masking your emotions. And that can get to the point where you're even, you're hiding those true feelings from yourself. You don't, you don't, you're not facing up to how you, how you really feel. So, um, so yes, that was a significant turning point of this psychological aspect of my life and, and concern that was constantly gnawing away at me, um, even though I've, I didn't fully realize it until many, many years later. And that's what I was actually going to bring up next is the, is the point where you were saying how 
it was only until obviously your sister's passing when things kind of started to correlate and you were mm. like, wait a minute, there's something going on. And it's interesting because it's, you know, you were living with the trauma of the bombings for, what was it, 11 years or something? Yeah, yeah 11, 12 years, yeah. And you had no idea or you did have an idea. But again, what you were just saying and I was thinking at the same time was it comes down to the acceptance of ourselves. So it's not lying to ourselves, but for whatever reason, we're not ready or we mm. don't want to accept it. So we keep just saying we are fine. Yeah. When realistically, we're not. And, you know, maybe others can maybe see it and maybe we start to feel it in different ways. But we just keep saying we're fine because for whatever the reasons are, we just don't want to accept it yet. Yeah, I think that's a fantastic point. It's, it's you know, in hindsight, sometimes it's easy. You know, there's a there's, a, <laughs> there's more clarity at times. But when you're in it, when you're in the midst of it, and as you say, you're not, it's not necessarily, you you know, you're, you're lying to yourself or you're, you're, you know, but sometimes it's so painful that there is avoidance and that avoidance can lead to you not being fully transparent or fully honest with yourself because for you to face that is, is, as you said, you're not you're not ready for it. You're not prepared. You're not sure how you will how you will survive having to deal with the reality of what's occurred yeah. uh, and your expectations of maybe you shouldn't really be suffering when there is so much more suffering in the world where other people have had to deal with this. Why why are you feeling as if it's if it's worse for you? Uh, and you know so there's this kind of compare and you know there's the kind of compare and despair but there's also this kind of this compare and no you should feel better from comparison you know it could have been worse uh, you know like um think of you know think of the silver lining you know and you're like actually there's none i can't think of any there isn't any there isn't anything good about <laughs> the situation right but you're you're trying to to process that event in a way which is positive and when all you can see is darkness when all you can see is hurt and pain and, and despair um so yeah this this complex ptsd you know being diagnosed i suppose was really important for me being told somebody saying you know as a specialist i understand this is what you're dealing with and it's complicated. It isn't straightforward. It isn't simple. Um, we may not be able to fix this, but we may be able to help you process and reframe these events and help you live in the present more rather than constantly looking back to these events, which are just horrifying and terrible and, and we can't change that right can't change what happened but certainly i can think differently about these events and and my part in those events which is which was really difficult for me to do um outside of the you know at the time so it took many many years of of realization and and sometimes that realization is really uncomfortable really uncomfortable I think that's 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 what it is, isn't it? It's it's being 
it's being uncomfortable and that's what comes with a lot of trauma obviously um and that's again comes with the acceptance and the not lying to yourself lying to yourself sort of thing it's mm. it's it's so uncomfortable trauma that sometimes we actually just get used to it so we get so used to just feeling a certain way that we don't think we can feel any different so when it then comes to the aspect of trauma and oh wait a minute i want to deal with this or maybe i should deal with this or maybe i could start to feel different it's like but you become so used to it that when you actually do start to go through some sort of healing mm. it makes it even more uncomfortable because mm. you're going to layers of yourself you're going you know to the depths in the you know the the darkest caves inside of you that you've probably never entered before and it's just kind of like what is going on yeah yeah and as 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 you start to you know process it and again when you were saying about you know that they didn't think they could you know in inverted commas fix you or fix what was going on i don't think that things like this um or any sort of trauma any sort of mental health comes with a um you know on paper a fix it's not they can't be fixed it's what you said it's reframing it mm. it's reshaping it it's just learning how to process it and understand it in a different way that in every single day life you learn how to cope with it in a healthy way yes you know or, or or to understand it or if you get your triggers how the triggers don't let you suddenly spiral down into you know the darkness mm. it's how you can kind of nip the triggers in the bud no they're here no they're there yes. but it, it, it's it's not fixing it it's it's reframing it it's reframing it and and I, I remember having there was a kind of a analogy that was presented to me during my sessions constantly uh, mm. about you know some of it very kind of uh anatomy and physiology and like this is your brain this is how your brain works and this is how the brain processes this part of the brain is responsible for you know mm -hmm. for, for dealing with fear and 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 in the present and here's a part of the brain that focuses on on memories and longer term memories and basically the, the, the long and the short of it was that my present state was constantly referencing my memories and my memories were being brought into my present and so with that happening i was reliving those memories as if it was happening to me now again and again and again and this would happen during the day this would happen at night in my dreams of waking up with with panic attacks so and and they said what we're going to try to do is to place those memories back into their original compartments and so when you reference them you'll be looking back at them at the time that they occurred rather than you reliving it now and and it's a very simple kind of analogy of kind of putting these memories in different boxes and saying hey you may need to revisit that box every now and again but you'll put it back in the box you know, rather than you taking it out of the box and going, it's here all the time. I, I can't put it back. I can't get away from this. And and so I had all of these memories that I was constantly referring to in and now and experiencing physically as if I was there again. And there were so many triggers, you know, so I could be walking down the street. I hear a loud sound. Oh, my goodness. I'm back there. Back in 2005. I'm back here with my sister. I'm 
watching the news, an event happens, I'm reliving whatever's, whatever's happening to anyone on the news, that's a, a terrible event. I, I was living, you know, <laughs> I was kind of modeling that event in my life now and, and feeling the surge of adrenaline and, and, and the anxiety and feeling depressed. And, and so I knew I needed help because if I didn't seek help at the time, I knew what the outcome was going to be. You know, the outcome was certainly going to be, I don't feel as if I can stay, live with this any longer. And the only way out of this is not living anymore. So, so fortunately, I, I, as soon as I had that thought, it was enough for me to say, I need, I need to act on this positively. I need to take steps to, to deal with this because otherwise the alternative is just darkness and just despair and, and feelings if there's no hope, uh, which no one wants to, 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 to feel, you know, at any point in time. So, um, I was fortunate that I could seek help. I was fortunate that there was patience. There was, I was keen to do the work. Um, I was told it's going to be more painful, especially in the beginning, than probably how painful it is on a day-to-day -day basis. You know, I'm like, oh my goodness, it's going to be worse before it gets better. <laughs> I like, you know, but I realized it was mm -hmm. confronting. It was facing head on what was uncomfortable that I didn't want to face, which would lead to healing, you know? So it's a bit like, you know, having, I don't know, you've got a splinter, right? <laughs> and, and it's painful, but that initial, that initial point of removing the splinter is more uncomfortable than the splinter you have. And you could say, no, you know what? No. <laughs> like, just, leave, <laughs> just leave the splinter there. But of course, if you leave the splinter there, it's going to get infected. It's going to get worse, right? So, so you have to, you know, kind of go, okay, <laughs> feel a bit more pain in the short term acutely to then receive that relief. Uh, so yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of, yeah. Splinter sounds really true, you know, really like minor. No, I loved but, it. I loved but, it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's, that's, you know, that's for me, the, 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 the kind of, again, the analogy of that additional discomfort that occurs, which is necessary to promote healing. And because we, we like to, you know, we avoid pain, right? Pain avoidance, fear avoidance means you know discomfort avoid you know avoidance means we may not do the work or go through the processes needed to promote healing whether that's in the mental or in the physical space yeah i loved the splinter analogy um thank you just to say because it and then when you were talking about it it's like when you rip the band-aid off um, mm. You know, no one wants to rip the band-aid off. That 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 moment you rip it off is the most painful part. <laughs> but then, the wound is open and it's ready to heal. Mm. And it's what we were saying before of of the cases. You know, when you start to go towards your trauma head on, you yeah. really start to go towards it. Yeah, it does get worse because it has to get worse because you have to go through it mm. to then start to come 
however way out the other side yeah out the other side yeah for sure yeah that's exactly that's exactly right you've got to you've got to move forwards and that moving forwards isn't just time right because when you are in the midst of it if you just think time is going to be the solution all that tends to happen is it <laughs> the time spent living with that trauma only makes it feel worse because you're you're saying to yourself, oh, it's been six months now. Oh, it's been a year now. It's been two years. Why am I not feeling any better? Why am I feeling worse? And it's because you're not moving forwards. You're not confronting yeah. how you feel. Um, and, it, and and the process will take as long as it takes, right? There's, but that's that's also difficult because we want instant, an instant solution, instant gratification. I just want to feel better now. And this wanting to feel better now means we can seek other forms of kind of medication, right? So my medication was my Xbox. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I, I basically became addicted to my console, my gaming console, and I'd wake up, play all day, avoid work, lie to my partner, telling her I had a really productive day, but really I was just productive on my Xbox, uh, being the hero. And, and that's what I realized. I, I, it made me feel really good. I was like, wow, I'm, I'm so good at this game. I'm saving the world. I'm, you know, and I wanted that in, in real life. You know, I wanted to feel I could help my sister. I wanted to feel that I could help people, you know, during terror attacks. I wanted to feel I could do better in my job but helping people with their health and well-being which is the work that I do now and and so that pressure of really just wanting to control everything and being told Daryl you have to get to grips with the fact you can't control everything for yourself for your loved ones for your friends family your clients you know, the world around you, you, you have to come to terms with the fact that there are some things that are out of your control. And that for me was really difficult. Um, when I felt previously that I could do whatever I want, I do the work, there's an outcome, right? <laughs> That's all it takes. Very naive. But but when you have an existence where you feel that's all it takes, and, and, I'll, yeah. and I'll get it done, that that is your reality until it's disrupted by events um, that lead to feeling the way the way that I did. And then what happened next? Because that kind of isn't the end of the journey, is it? No, it isn't. <laughs> um, yeah, I, um, I suppose the next step was, you know, I finished my sessions. I, I felt I felt okay. And I remember seeing my seeing my therapist, you know, a year or so later, and and he said, "Hey, Daryl, you know, how are you getting on?" And I was like, "Yeah, I'm great. Everything's great." And he said, "Daryl, if you ever need us again, you know where we are." And I said to him, "No, I think I'll be okay, right?" And literally, it was probably about six months later, nine months later, my my mother was diagnosed with breast cancer. And um, and going through this process when she, when it became terminal, I was like, it's happening again. I'm I'm now having re-experiencing all those events that I discussed earlier. Plus, fast forwarding 
thinking of my mum dying and how am I going to cope with this? So I had to seek out, the, you know, uh, therapy again. Um, and, and this time I was like, it's preventative, <laughs> you know, like I know what's going to happen. I, I need a buffer to help me. And, um, so yeah, I had to deal with my mother passing and then, and then reliving this. And then my father passed a couple of years after that. And so I now realize after these events that they continue to live with you. The gaps that you feel, the holes that you feel of, of not having those, those persons in your life. I know they will stay with me for forever. I, I, you know, for me, it's not a time will, a time will heal. Um, I miss, and I will forever miss these individuals and I will always wish that there was somebody that I could have done to change the outcome. So, but I suppose what's easier now is that I can still reframe these events and not patronize myself by just going, oh, this is life, it happens, death happens, just deal with it, get over it. Um, but realizing that that pain and suffering is part of life. And sometimes you need additional support. And sometimes that support means I have to speak to others. So fortunately, I was able to talk to my loved ones about how I felt. I was able to disclose to my siblings that you're not the only ones who are suffering. I'm suffering too. I'm just not telling you about it. Really, Daryl? Like, what, what? Really? Really? You know, I'm the eldest of the siblings. And so I, I felt responsible not to share how I was feeling because I didn't want to burden them with how I felt. So I was able to have these really emotionally intelligent conversations <laughs> that I'd never been able to, that I was never able to have previously. And I was able to, to ask for help in a preventative way, which, which gave me a bit of a buffer, um, which made it a, a smidgen easier to contemplate what my future was going to be in terms of grieving. So, um, so yeah, that, that, that psychological sort of trauma lives with me daily, but it's easier for me to cry now. <laughs> I, I feel better after I shed tears. I feel, I feel healthier talking about trauma, these traumatic events, rather than feeling as if I have to hide away from vulnerability. So I don't, I, I, I have no issues now talking about that vulnerability. I know it helps me and I know it helps others who need to hear because they may be going through something similar. And I suppose that fast forwarding on to physical trauma. So I, prior to seven, seven life was rosy. You know, I didn't understand people having mental health issues. I was like, why don't you just get over it? That was, that was me. Then I had m mental health episodes and I'm like, okay, now I understand. Okay. Right. <laughs> it's not so easy. Right. 
then I had the diagnosis. Like, okay, now I really understand what PTSD is like. You know, I, I didn't really, why can't people just get over it? You know, going to war and why can't they just, you know, their shoulders, they're trained, completely ignorant. Um, and I, it was similar with physical trauma. I was fit, healthy, hadn't had any, hadn't had any physical issues really of, of, of concern of, of trauma, serious trauma until earlier this year when I had a cycling accident and I was on my bike in a cycling cycle lane, somebody opened their doors. I was going full speed into their door and next thing I know I'm on the, you know, I, I'm, I skid for, for a while and I'm like, Oh, I can't, don't think I can get up, you know? And so I was on the ground for a few minutes thinking, I don't really feel very much. Um, I'm not sure if I can get up. I can't take the, you know, the bike off me. And you know, I was kind of angry, the, the driver scarpered, uh, <laughs> um, and um, I remember I got up and I got back on the bike, rickety bike, and I carried on cycling to my destination. I remember thinking, hey, <laughs> I'm okay. I'm like bulletproof, hey. And I carried on cycling for like about five, yeah, about five, 10 minutes. I remember thinking, wow, I, that's pretty amazing. I couldn't get up. I was struggling to get up, but I managed to get on the bike. And I don't really feel too much pain. And I carried on cycling. Oh my goodness. What, why was that such a huge mistake? You know, like I don't need, <laughs> yeah, I don't need to see anyone, you know, I'm fine. But what happened was I then had a really steep decline in my ability to physically function. So I went from riding on that bike, <laughs> um, feeling as if I was okay. You know, I continued to go into the gym. Like, yeah. I'm just, yeah, I can just do this. I'm superhuman. Um, to the point where it was like, hold on a second, Daryl, like you're struggling to get out of bed. You, you can't walk as far as you used to your posture's changing. So I, it went to the stage where I started walking at almost like a 90 degree bend at the hips. Mm -hmm. And, um, I was like, I need to see a specialist about this because yeah. something's happening. I don't know if it's related to the accident, but it probably is. And so, yeah, I was diagnosed with, uh, three herniated discs. I had sciatica. Um, I was basically given every single painkiller known to, to mankind. Um, you know, you don't want to be on this for too long, Daryl. I don't care. Just give me, just give me, just give me everything. Um, and so then I went transitioned to a walking stick, um, because people saw me walking was like, do you need help? I'm like, I'm, you know, like, no, I'm fine. I'm, no, I'm just walking very slowly. I'm just like walking with a really, with a stoop. I'm fine. I'm fine. Then I was like, no, I, I need a walking stick because I'm really struggling. It's really painful. And I went from a walking stick into a wheelchair and, um, and it, it, it I just couldn't appreciate Well, I had no idea what was happening to me. I couldn't see an end to this decline. Um, the physios that I was seeing, every physio session I had, I seemed to be getting worse. 
So I was like, I walked in with a walking stick, but now I feel as if I have to be in a wheelchair again. Like mm -hmm. what's, what's happening to me? Um, so I spent, you know, and then, yeah, the worst of that. So wheelchair traveling, um, having to have wheelchair assistance when I was flying, um, facing some like wheelchair discrimination, I suppose, disability discrimination, because people were looking at me and, and going, well, you kind of look okay. Why are you in a wheelchair? Like, as if that makes any difference. Right. But, mm. but, but, you know, there were many remarks, um, whilst traveling and then I had, then I went from wheelchair to spending a few weeks in bed where I literally just couldn't move. And so I was like, I, I, I have no idea what's happening to me. It just feels as if it's getting worse and worse and worse. I'm in constant pain. I'm taking every single medication available and nothing is helping. And that was the first time I'd experienced this level of physical trauma. Um, I was concerned about the outcome. What am I going to do about this? Who can I see to get better? Why does no one have any answers for me? And um, what was the solution? You know, what is the solution going to be for this? And um, again, I I hid this from many people. So my clients who I was seeing remotely, I'd be doing sessions with them. Um, I'm a movement coach, so I'd be having sessions telling my clients what to do whilst, whilst I literally be in my bed thinking to myself, I can't do anything I'm asking you to do. I can't really do any demonstrations. Please don't ask me to demonstrate because I can't. I hid this from the world for a very long time for people who didn't see me. Um, it was really, really tough. It was really, really difficult. And things only started to get better when I started to tell people what I'd been through and, and that I had to get off the crutch of the medication mm -hmm. because the medication, all the medication was doing after the initial pain relief was making me feel drowsy, making me feel less likely to be able to move. Um, meant that almost anything I did was, was really excruciatingly painful and all that was happening was the dose was increasing <laughs> to the point where I was on, I was on the maximum dose of, of several medications. And I was like, this can't be the solution. This can't be the fix. Um, I need to start tapering off these drugs. I don't want to become addicted to these meds. I need to start doing some physical work, which is going to be really uncomfortable, but I need to start getting stronger a little bit day by day. And so that's what happened. So, so I started with medical advice. <laughs> I started to taper off the medication. I started to do a little bit of movement, a little bit more each day. So literally going from a few seconds, which is all I could bear to, you know, a minute to a couple of minutes to not needing the wheelchair anymore. I was like, I'm just not going to use that device. I don't know, I'm not sure how, but I'm just going to not use it you know, less reliance on the, on the, on the walking stick. <laughs> so I just made a decision. I was like, you know what, in, in four days, I know I need the wheelchair, the, the, the stick now, but in four days, I'm not going to use that stick ever again. 
Um, and that's what I did. Um, slowly, slowly, better, better. And it's now seven, eight months since the accident. Now, I was only remarking a few days ago, only within the last few weeks have I been able to walk the distances I could pre-accident. So it's taken me six months to be able to walk more than a couple of hundred meters without being in lots of pain. And, and that's only in the last few weeks. So that gives you an idea of how, how you know, the length of this journey. And even though I felt as if it's all been an upward progressive climb, um, I had a setback uh, about a mm -hmm. month ago where it's a bit embarrassing to say, but <laughs> I, went, <laughs> I went to the toilet in the middle of the night, right? And I was like, I can't get out of the, I can't get off the toilet. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, I'm like, what's happened to me? Um, you know, so I literally was, you know, sprang out of bed. I was like, wow, I'm still, isn't this great? Went to the toilet and I was like, oh my goodness back spasmed and I just couldn't move. And I crawled, I crawled off the toilet, crawled into bed. Um, remember thinking to myself, oh, I'll feel better in the morning. You know, I'll feel okay. Woke mm. up in the morning, I'm still the same. Um, and I felt as if I was going back to, to where I was several months ago. Um, and what I did was I was like, no, Daryl, it's okay. It's normal to have a setback. This doesn't mean you didn't do anything, you know, out of the ordinary, you know, you don't know how long it's going to take for you to get back to a hundred percent if you will ever get there. But, but you can, you can not just stay in bed. That's what you can definitely do tomorrow. You know, when I woke up and so that's what happened. I woke up, I was like, I just want to stay in bed. You know, I don't want to move because it's really painful. It's really uncomfortable. Get me the painkillers. Just get me the painkillers. And I felt like that for the first day. I'm not getting up and not moving. I'm just going to stay. Just get me the painkillers. And I was like, well, Daryl, if you do that, you know what's going to happen. It's like to set you back even further. So I had, a, I suppose, a concentrated version of what happened a few months previously. And I was like, no, I need to move a little bit. And I had a few days of discomfort, but I didn't have to use the wheelchair. I didn't have to use the walking stick. Um, I was stooped over for a bit, <laughs> but, um, incredibly after that, that, that second phase, that second setback, I was actually stronger at the end of that than I was prior to the setback, if that makes sense. So, so yeah, yeah. yeah makes sense. so feelings, if I was, I was pretty much fully recovered, then having the setback coming out of that, I'm now better than I was, you know, now I can walk as long as I, as long, long as I wish now was I couldn't do that previously. So it's it's amazing the blessing of having that that second setback and thinking, you know, in tears, thinking, oh my goodness, it's, it's happened again. I'm, am I ever gonna get better? I thought I was better. I thought I was doing the right things. And now all I can do is just spring out of bed and go to the toilet and it can just happen. It can happen at any time, like trauma, you know, physical trauma. So um, I had to have a word with myself <laughs> and, and and reminded myself of, you knew this could happen. You knew the potential of this. You know that you have this structural issue in your back that is not gonna, it's not gonna get better. It's, 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 it's part of you now. You have to think differently. You have to move differently. You have to do the right type of physical work 
to ensure that you can maintain your function going forwards and and hopefully reduce the risk of a setback so yeah that was the physical the physical delights of the last of the last year i think something to do with setbacks is it's they can also just be redirections so we think they're setbacks 100% we think they're set setbacks but they can be redirections into being stronger or to being something different you know happier or healthier and it's really interesting when you spoke about the setback and when it happened and you sat there and you thought oh no I'm I, I'm right at the beginning again mm. you know I, I thought I'd got through this because I know I've had the same when I've had setbacks physical setbacks um, but not just physical setbacks you know mental setbacks mm. you sit there and you think oh what <laughs> what yeah. I, I, I thought I'd got better yeah. or I thought I was you know, doing a lot better, let's say, yeah. but it's then when you look back and you think, but you are doing better. You know, you, you, you have got through that stage, that part, you know, the beginning bit and the setbacks aren't there to cripple you into, you know, despair and to, to, to take you back to the beginning. I know it always does take you back to the traumatic event because it, you know, I've had it as well. Mm. It takes you straight back there. But like you were saying earlier, and it was a point you, you mentioned before about memories and and when someone, and while you were saying it, I was thinking as well, and when we have trigger thoughts or, you know, maybe even if it's physical triggers and things like that, and you're taken out of the present moment and the memories of the past event comes flooding straight back in mm. and you are reliving that moment right now you are out of the present moment and we do that a lot sometimes when we want to think about happy things you know sometimes we think about good memories where we're full of love and happiness and joy and we we know certain ones that can make us really happy at a you know certain time but then we also don't always have control over the negative ones mm. and that's kind of it, it was a really fascinating point because i've never heard someone explain it in that way where you are you obviously you're taken out of the present moment and that memory you are currently reliving but it, it's a memory yes you know i know that we, i know that we are all processing things very differently and some things are a lot harder for some people i i really respect that of course but you're right they are memories they aren't here mm, right now yes. and and we we make them here right now and that can come with physical setbacks as well because we are suddenly at the accident. We are suddenly at the op on the operating table. Yeah. I mean, we're not. Yeah. We're, we're, we might be in our living room, but whatever that trigger is, it sends us straight back to that moment. But we are actually a lot further ahead than we realize. Mm. And I think that's when sometimes if you do get those moments, it's just the moment to just pause and to stop and to say, okay, like right now I might be freaking out. That's fine. Yeah. But this morning you probably weren't. And a year ago that morning, you probably were. So my point is, is even if you get little setbacks or big setbacks, they're all different shapes and sizes, the setbacks that can happen or the triggers or the thoughts or anything that can come in and makes you feel, oh no, I am not better. You, you are in a, you know, in, in, in not, I'm not saying you are in a, you know, a sense of, well, you are better. It's, it's a sense of, it's small steps. Mm. And it's it's small, little, tiny little fractures of feeling better. And when you can look back and you can go, yeah, but maybe a year ago, 
this 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 affected me a lot worse than it is now or hey wait a minute i got through this yesterday i know i might be feeling really bad today but i got through yesterday yeah okay a year ago every day was bad does that make sense it's it's again like you said it's just learning how to then again reframe things yes yeah yeah no i I totally agree and it's it's and that's why it's really good to talk talk through this because yeah because um i had to i suppose i had to equate my the psychological trauma that i experienced with with tied in with the physical trauma and thinking about daryl this is going to take baby steps you want you want a quick (laughs) fix you want to click your fingers and everything's fine you want to go back to how things were right oh you know before the accident everything was fine why did i get on the bike why did i take that route why you know why 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 (laughs) um um and 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 then you get these moments i had these moments of like this feels really good not moving like it feels really comfortable like i can't laugh i can't sneeze cough <laughs> right as long as i don't move it's life is bliss hopefully somebody can feed me grapes meds on demand <laughs> you know this is this is wonderful but like my my mental health started to suffer was starting to suffer physically i realized that i was getting weaker and weaker not just because of the not just because of what happened with the accident but because i just wasn't moving you know uh, um and so i was like i need to focus on what i can do there's all these things i can't do there's all these things i can't do now that i hopefully can do <laughs> But there's what can I do, right? And and I remember speaking to one of my clients. Who, um, hopefully, she won't, I won't mention her name. Mm-hmm. But one of my clients, she she's dealing with MS and, and multiple sclerosis, and she's in a wheelchair. And um, and I remember doing a virtual session with her, and I said to her, I says, hey, you know, you know, I I, I was in a I was in a wheelchair a few days ago. You know, and she's like, you know, I was kind of lit up and she's like, what, what, what happened? What happened? And I, I explained what happened. And, and she said, Dow, she went like, what's really amazing about this discussion is she says, now, she says, now you understand what it's, what it's like. She went, now you understand what it's like when you're, when you feel trapped in this chair and, and people, you know, just see the chair or they see you differently and and there's all these things that you can't you know that your fun your function is impacted and and I, it, it was fantastic having that conversation because i was like i completely before i was sympathetic but now i can completely empathize and 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 i was like the end of that session i was like daryl you know what you need to start eating your own dog food mate you the things the things you said to your client in that session why aren't you saying that to yourself? <laughs> like you're telling her she should be pushing a bit more, doing a bit more, but you're saying to yourself, oh, just can't wait for the session to be over so I can go, I can go and lie down and just pamper myself by doing nothing, you know? Um, so I, I, it, it, that's what it took. I was like, thank goodness for this experience. Thank goodness I didn't just hide away and not do sessions because even though I wasn't doing, by talking about it, and and you know not walking the walk but talking the talk by talking the talk it made me realize Dow, there's a little bit of hypocrisy here 
you know, you're asking people to do things, but you're not willing to do it yourself. Like, why not? Because I'm scared, because it's painful, because it hurts. Okay, you know it does. But what would happen if your clients said the same thing to you? If they had the same injury as you did, the same accident, what would you tell them to do, Daryl? Mm -mm. Yeah, Daryl, listen to yourself. Listen, listen, listen. <laughs> so I had, I had that moment. I really did. Very, very kind of vivid moment of like talking to myself and going, okay, you know what? I'm going to do exactly the same. And the next time I spoke to my client, I said, I told them, I said, you know, it was really embarrassing, <laughs> but I went, I had to, I had to literally be my own client and start doing the things that I, that I constantly tell you. And I'm starting to do those now and I'm starting to feel better and I'm getting a little bit stronger each time. And so I've been able to share my progress with her and it's, it's, it's helped her, you know, she's doing more, you know, so, so it's, it's, it's amazing that my, the bonding that's occurred by me going through this physical experience and sharing it with her um, and her not saying to me, oh, you know, it's not the same. You know what I mean? Like she, she was like, yeah, I'm right with you, Daryl. And thank you for pushing me because I want to try harder. But, but Daryl, remember what you need to do. So I'm like, okay, yeah, the teacher, teacher becomes a student. <laughs> Um, but yes, it, it's, it's having that setback. Oh my goodness. Like reliving the memories. And I suppose it, it wasn't, to be honest, I wasn't, I didn't relive the memories of what happened physically. What I was most concerned about was, is this the start of a decline that I'll never recover back from? That's probably what the memory what the what the fear was it's probably it was more fear driven i suppose rather than memory driven because of course i wasn't in the accident i didn't have another accident but it was it was like oh my goodness like what if this is now the real decline what if i'm now going to feel pain that i've never felt before you know um but I, you know i had to have a very quick reset the lessons i learned from the previous time accelerated uh you know thinking about recovery and it was it was really beneficial it was really beneficial not feeling sorry for myself not feeling as if there's nothing that i could do i was like Dal, yeah there isn't much you can do but there's something you can do to make yourself feel a little bit better in terms of this healing process as uncomfortable as it's going to be and i think when you're talking about the healing process and again you said that you were able to you know form uh, an even stronger bond, let's say, with this client once you started to talk to her about what was going on. And I think, you know, just before you mentioned about when you you started to get better, when you started to tell people rather than hiding it from people. And while you were talking about that, it it's also the case of maybe things that happened many years ago as well, we hide things, we harbor things, we hold on to things and we keep them really low down and we don't let anybody see them. And we wear a lovely, beautiful mask. Mm. And I think when you talk about that out loud, and obviously this is, this is how I'm thinking about it while you're talking. It's, we're not really hiding it from other people. We're hiding it from ourselves. And it's, we are either in denial or we, that's probably denial actually, we just don't want to accept it. It's going mm. back to the root of acceptance and we don't want to accept 
the reality of the situation. So we're completely in denial. So why should we tell somebody else? Because we don't even think it ourselves. Yeah. Maybe we do, maybe know it. But when as soon as we speak it out loud, we then know it's something's it's re- going yeah, on. So real. we just keep it in. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a really, really, really excellent point. Um, you know, the reality, I mean, that's how, I suppose, even that reality of sharing is how I'm now on your podcast, yeah. right? So I, I posted on my social media, like, hey, folks, this was me a while back. That's my wheelchair. <laughs> no, that's my walking stick. And because I hadn't shared it publicly, the yet kind of outpouring of support, the outpouring of that. What do you mean, Dal? We've seen you. We've seen you posting stuff. And I'm like, yeah, I was just posting the stuff that made it seem as if everything was OK. <laughs> but. But trust me, no, it hasn't been. It's been it's been a real struggle. But but having that, you know, contemplating, am I going to post this or not? Am I going to wait until I'm just I'm better, and then I can just act as if nothing happened? And I was like, no, because I'm documenting my my uh, I'm documenting my experiences with movement. That's part what that's part of what my profile is about. So part of movement. <laughs> is not being able to move right it's recovering from yeah. injury it's 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 having mobility issues it's having setbacks and and it's not feeling like moving you know it's all those things so why should i just post hey look at me climbing a tree today isn't it wonderful <laughs> you know so um it was really important for me to post that yeah. and and to 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 say to people when they ask me is everything okay and and now I, it's easy for me to say now I'm getting better. Whereas previously, I probably would have said, oh, yeah, everything's fine. Yeah, they look at me. See, yeah. everything's fine. <laughs> but now I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> I know I'm still in this process of getting better. Yeah. I know I'm still taking baby steps. I know that I have no idea where the end point is. And it's far healthier to me to think in that way because if I do get a, a setback, you know, it's just a it's just a blip, right? Rather than me thinking, oh my gosh, it's an end, it's an end point. It's the, this is it. Yeah. I can just think, okay, something's up. You know, I need, need to reframe it physically. Maybe I need to rest. Maybe I overdid it. Whatever it is. But um, yeah, it's healthier to to open up when you feel comfortable to do so, right? Um, when you decide who you want to share that with, because of course you don't have to share everything with everyone. But but yeah. for me, it was really useful to do that. Uh, it was really useful for. Uh, us to open channels of communication because of it and 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 me tying that in to the fact that people are going through so much you know physical mentally and as humans we it helps when we see others going through something that we're going through and we can say to ourselves it isn't just me you know it isn't just me. And that's probably the lowest point that one can feel when you're going through something you go, it's only me. No one understands. I don't care what anyone else is going through. It's just me. It's just me. It's just me. And as soon as you realize there's some interconnectedness, you know, there's someone who may be able to give you advice. There's somebody who may be able to have the ear to, to listen to. Um, it's all part of the healing process. You know, we're not alone. We are social beings, um, and and we need to rely on our networks to to, to help us when it, when the time when the time is right. 
Well, I guess you hit the nail on the head there. We aren't alone. Um, we can feel alone plenty of times, but the odds on someone pretty much going through, you know, exactly the same thing you have been through or currently are going through is, um, yeah, there's, there's probably someone out there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's probably someone out there. And I think it's just remembering that we're not alone. And we think we can think it plenty of times, but we really, really aren't. And you're right, you use your network, you know, just find anybody. You don't have to share everything with everyone. Don't feel that that's a need. But if that means finding one person to share things with, you know, it, it, it's just, you know, I, I, a few people have said on this show and I've heard it now a couple of times as a problem shared as a problem half. So mm. as soon as you do start speaking out loud about things, it, it's off your chest. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it is off your chest and you have somebody that is there that wants to support you and help you through it. Yeah, yeah. No, totally, totally agree. And it, it's, I have to keep telling myself this, you know, the person who who feels most comfortable not sharing how they feel, right? If I'm being honest, that's that's me. Yeah. But I do know for experience now that I do feel better being, it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to share your your weaknesses. It's okay to share your problems and your issues. Um, and it's just the the wisdom is finding the appropriate person or persons. Yeah. That's what it, that's what makes the difference. Because sometimes we do tend to share things with the wrong individuals, which and all that does is it it brings us back to you know what I should have kept that yeah. to myself. I shouldn't have opened mm -hmm. my mouth. I shouldn't have been vulnerable in that ex situation because look what's happened now. And so being contemplative around, okay, who I need to speak to someone. Who is that person going to be? Yeah. Who can I be vulnerable with? Who's going to be non-judgmental? Who's going to be helpful, even if they don't understand, but they go, they want to understand who that, who is that person? Right? So, so that's probably the biggest lesson that I've learned is, is, seek out the appropriate persons that you can share your adversities um because for for me doing that i have felt better <laughs> in in doing so yeah no i i definitely agree with you and not every it, it's horrible to say this but not everybody is gonna want to listen they're just not that some no. people just for whatever their reasons are they don't want to and i think if you do come across someone that is that way inclined just try not to take it personally because i think a lot of people might take that personally mm. but try not to because they might be going through their own thing as well and they just might not want it they or maybe they just can't help they just can't yeah um they don't know how to but don't make that think that I've opened up to the wrong person. That means I can't do it again mm. because I'm sure we've all been through that as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, we've all, we've all done yeah, it. Yeah. But then don't make that, you know, don't let that stop you because, you know, the next person might be the one that does want to listen to everything and does want to help you in more ways than ever, ever, ever before. Exactly. Which is the important part. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You do, sometimes, sometimes you have to window shop, right, for a while until you find what you want, <laughs> right? So just because you go out and buy a pair of shoes and you're like, Oh, these are the worst <laughs> pair of shoes ever. Why did I buy them? It doesn't mean you're going to never buy a pair of shoes again. So it, yeah. it, it is about finding that appropriate person. And it may take a few attempts. But when you do, just like me and the therapist, 
like it took me a while to realize you know who the appropriate person was but once i did yeah. oh my goodness like what an incredible transformation you know to be yeah. able to open up to be able to to discuss and disclose what i was going through and to feel okay not being okay right so um yeah you know and you know and that person may change right there's <laughs> you know that person may not be the the, the same person for for the different incidents, the different events, the different disclosures, right? But but there's somebody there's somebody that that hopefully you can seek out, who will be the right ear, who will listen, who will know when to keep keep their mouth shut, who will know when to give you the appropriate feedback, you yeah. know, um, to say I don't understand, to say oh my goodness that's awful, I don't know. oh my goodness you know like to show the right level of empathy, Th those people are out there, and and certainly for myself when I think back to my days pre 2005, when I was, you know, the kind of archetypal <laughs> investment banking type, no, no empathy whatsoever. Do you know what I mean? Like absolutely stone cold, no sympathy, no empathy, like just get over it, whatever you had to go through. Thank goodness my arc has changed. I, I am now so empathetic. I'm now so much more understanding and appreciative of people going through their journeys whatever those journeys are so so that's probably the silver lining and i, I said there wasn't really one but but that's probably the silver lining of, of having these experiences is realizing it's a bit easier to say the right things now when people are sharing with me what they're going through you know i have a bit more deeper level of understanding you know i know when to just go sorry i'm not you know what i used to be a think i was a problem solver you know this is not the time to be a problem solver now is the time just to listen right and wait if they want to ask my advice i can give it but this is a time for them to just sound off and i can be like wow i can actually listen for a change <laughs> you know <laughs> so so there's some 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 positives uh, um a small positive from the from those experiences yeah. And then I want to ask you one final question, which is what advice would you have to somebody? And I know it's going to be quite a broad question, yeah. but what advice would you have? And I want to do it on something we spoke a lot about earlier, which was control mm. and, and the control of wanting to save the, the world. world. What, you know, and I'm sure a lot, a lot of people are going through that sort of, um, that sort of thing in their own way. They might not even realize they're going through it, mm. but Control is a big thing and wanting to control so much more than we actually can. Mm. What would you say to someone that is in that limbo of, but how do I, how, what do I do? What's one step at least to take? Oh, that, I wish you'd have primed me with that question earlier, Ty, because like, I'm like, that's such a tough, <laughs> that's such a difficult question because I'm struggling. I struggle with that every day. Yeah. Um, I, I think for me, I, I, I can't, I can't speak for anyone else on this, on this one thing. For me, I have to spend some time outside of my comfort zone. So, so I'll, I'll give, yeah, here's, here's my example. I, um, I didn't learn to swim until I was 40. I nearly drowned when I was about five years old, very close to to you know to drowning and from that moment on i was like water forget about it 
bucket list of my 40, I was like, I'm going to learn to swim. I, I spent a lot of money trying to learn to swim, didn't really do very, do very well. Uh, last year, I spent some time, I was in Jamaica, went to the sea, I swam a few meters, huffed and puffed all the way through it, hyperventilated. But, I, but that experience of, of knowing um, there's very little I, control, I can control about the situation. I can't control how I feel. Uh, you can tell me to be as relaxed as much as you can. I can't, you know, like, but g going through that experience again and again, mm -hmm. and actually it never feeling any better, that for me is the most analogous, the, the best metaphor for me, is actually try to face things in your life where you realize there's very little you can do about the outcome and and face it you know so so i don't like going to the water there is nothing enjoyable about it whatsoever for me <laughs> but i know but i know i have to keep i know i have to go back into the water at some point and and embrace the discomfort so i don't, I don't know if that kind of fully answers the question but for, for me that's the the most tangible the most tangible way of me facing the fear of this is something that I can't really control. You know, this is a real phobia and fear of mine that I'm never going to feel better about. But at least I went into the water. At least I embraced that discomfort. And at least I know when I come out of it, there was nothing I could have done differently. <laughs> I, I couldn't control what happened. Um, but I've survived. So I would just say pick something in your life where you're outside of your comfort zone where you know that you don't have full control over and spend time in that place spend time in that activity and be okay with the fact that you don't feel okay about it um, and that's how i feel about the tragic events that happened that's how i feel now about the passing of my sister my mother and my father that of course i would want them to be here of course, if I had that control, I would want to be able to click my fingers and everything to be rosy, but I know I can't, right? So I have to face up to that reality um, by also picking real um, events now that is, is similar, a similar sort of feeling. Don't want to do this, don't want to face up to this, but I'm going to give it a go anyway. And, oh, I did it. I'm okay. I, I survived. And, and I don't want to do it again, but I probably will. And maybe this is a little bit of uh, a little bit of a change, which I may not perceive, but something positive is coming out of that. So, yeah, a really long answer. But um, but I had to be very introspective there about what what I what I do to, to face up to yeah. that lack of control. Well, it's of course it's a personal answer because it's it's you know it's what you do or it's it's something that you know even if it's one thing that you can do and somebody that's listening can reframe that in their own mind and think okay well what's the one thing that or the you know the many things that I feel that I am I need to control but I can only control to a certain extent mm. and once I I can't control it anymore I have to face it and let go and kind of just I guess it's surrendering, isn't surrendering. It? it's just surrendering surrendering Sur it's surrendering yeah. so look you've done what you can yeah. 
but you can't keep doing that all the time because then it just does it 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 it, it consumes yes. you yes yes thank you for i'm so appreciative of you saying that this is what i this is what i mean about the water i realize water is like my kryptonite so <laughs> it's not just a weakness it's not just a fear it's something that i can never fully overcome so like superman i'm a big superman fan superman if he faces kryptonite it's it's death you know he can't there's nothing he can do about it apart from avoiding it right so this is how i feel about that experience of getting in the into the water you have to surrender to the fact that daryl you're not going to feel comfortable about this you're never going to become an amazing swimmer <laughs> you're never going to enjoy you're never going to enjoy that but you can still get in the water for a, a short period of time <laughs> and and hate every moment of it but you can still come back out and go I still achieved, I still achieved something in that process. So that's what I, yeah, that's what it is for me, realizing that you have these kryptonites. And if you spend, if you spend time wasting effort on trying to make that better, so no matter, no, no, no number of swimming lessons I go, is going to make it any better for me. Do you know what I mean? I'm just throwing money down yeah. the drain. It's not going to, yeah. it's not going to make any difference. I just have to do what I can, uh, which is a few meters underwater yeah. and i'm amazing because <laughs> i couldn't do that ever in my life right so i'm like yeah daryl be yeah. happy that you can at least get into the water you know um below you know without just getting your toes in the water which is what the previous version of me would have been <laughs> so yeah yeah, yeah. well it, it is isn't it it's 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 the metaphor we dip our toes in you know yeah. and sometimes all we do is dip in our toes because we think no nah, i'm just I'm, I'm gonna dip my toe in and I, that's fine that's enough yeah. you know I'm, I'm good i've dipped my toe in but dipping your toe in you've only just tasted mm. it you know if you really want to whatever it is if you really want to heal from it or deal with it or or, or learn how to you know surrender to mm. it whatever it is you can't just dip your toe yeah. in yeah yeah you have to just you have Fully to immersion. go in for the yeah, day yeah. <laughs> Yep, you have to. You have to. Stay safe. <laughs> you do, I mean, yes. bringing it back for swimming and stuff, but yeah. <laughs> you have to. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to, um, and you have to take action. Um, you know, you you can't keep saying you're going to do things, and you you can't. You know, you have to take action, yeah. and also it's it's you can't avoid. You know, I know Superman avoids kryptonite, <laughs> but you know, and I'm sure it's it's come up in a couple of films, but. You know, and he gets faced with it, but you can't avoid the things that you want to control or you think, you know, as soon as they're out of your control, it's, you know, you're, you know, you're too scared to surrender. Because if you also start avoiding all these things, it's only going to make things worse because you're building, uh, uh, you're, ma you're basically building more blocks on top of the problem because you're avoiding it so much. You're just, you're, you're, you're creating a fear that's just escalating because yeah. you never want to get close yeah, to it. Yeah, and I'm going to go back to Superman. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry about <laughs> it, but... Yeah, it's like Superman saying, I better not go and save people from a burning building because there might be kryptonite there, right? Yeah. You know? So, so yeah, yeah it's, it's like the fear becomes bigger than the, the you know, day-to-day uh, -day issues that you're trying to solve. So, so yeah, you have, to, you have to find a way of navigating, surrendering, recognizing there are some things you can't control. But what can I do to mitigate? What can I do to to make myself feel a little bit better about that situation? Right, that's that's positive for me. 
So they, that's the answer. We got there in the end. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. did. We did. We did not like that we threw in a superhero. <laughs> yeah. yeah, swimming superhero. Yeah, that's a good way to end. <laughs> it really, really is. And yes, it has been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Is there anything else that you do want to share today? Yeah, I suppose if people want to find out a little bit more about my my yeah. journey, my my transition from investment banking technology to now a movement coach, author, um, you know, talking about living a more playful life. Uh, then my website is primalplay.com um, and you can Google Daryl Edwards and you can find out all sorts of stuff about me, which fortunately is, is all okay and <laughs> nothing that needs to be censored. So, um, so yeah, <laughs> that's the best place. And everyone can find you on uh, on all social medias, Yeah, correct? social media. So I'm known as a fitness explorer. So at fitness explorer on, on social media and um, Daryl Edwards everywhere else. Perfect. Well, it's been a pleasure to talk to you today. Thank you so much for joining Thank me. Thank you so much, Talia. It's been uh, fantastic. Thank you. As we wrap up today with Daryl, a key takeaway is in the journey of healing, it's not uncommon for things to get worse before they get better. Today, think about what memories you might still be reliving that are still haunting you, as if they were happening today. Facing these memories head on and learning how to put them back into the box in which they occurred can allow us to seize reliving the darkness that surrounds them. It's in these courageous dives into the depths of our experiences that true growth and transformation often begins. So stay tuned for more incredible stories and thank you again for joining us. Until next time, don't dip your toes into the uncomfortable, dive right in and you will eventually emerge stronger. And remember, you too have the power to get back up.